Back in August 2018, if you can cast your mind back that far, I had my second ever guest on the show, and his name was Pete Starr. And for the first time ever, I'm going to have a guest back on the show for a repeat visit, if you will. And my guest is Pete, because Pete, a little over three years ago, in episode two of the Training Business Podcast, was sharing his thoughts. He was weighing up the pros and cons of working for himself or going back into full-time employment. And I met Pete when I was working with him on some training contracts for other training providers. So it really meant a lot to me to share my thoughts with Pete and have Pete share his with me about the pros and cons of doing our own thing, developing our own brand, or to take the safe way and to work in corporate work as an employee. I'm happy to say that Pete stuck with the journey. And in the last three years, Pete has developed his brand. He's grown a team. He has a clear message for the marketplace. And specifically today, in this week's episode, Pete's going to revisit the thoughts at the time and share how one specific training contract has actually helped him to grow from you could say, small business now to a consistent business with the promise of large and very valuable training contracts coming in. I think you're going to enjoy this one. I certainly did going down memory lane with Pete. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. I'm the lucky, privileged host of this podcast. And if you're someone who is a coach, a trainer, a facilitator, someone who helps people through your expertise, to be the best that they can be. I think this is the show for you because every week either we have a one-to-one episode where it's just you and I going through something to help you grow, develop your brand, your consultancy, or it's something where we have a guest on the show. We've had lots of really great guests recently. And with that in mind, um, I thought it would be interesting to go back in time and to invite back onto the show a guest that I had three years ago. In fact, my second ever guest on the show. His name is Pete Starr. He's based in Manchester in the UK. And as I said before the music at the time, Pete was thinking and weighing up the the pros and cons of either going back into full-time employment in learning and development or going out on his own, developing a brand and hopefully eventually growing a team. And that's exactly what Pete has done. So in this week's episode, as I said, Pete is going to share his thoughts on how he's grown and the business he's grown and the lessons he's learned And we're going to hone in on one specific project with one customer, which has really made the difference to the Chili brand and its future. Pete, hi, and welcome back to the show. Hi, Mark. How are you? It's three years. In fact, it's just over three years since we spoke. And you were guest number two on the podcast. And if I cast my mind back, that's sometime in August 2018. So when we first spoke... And it was an excellent episode, by the way. There was loads of positive feedback from people who said, I learned li- loads listening to Pete. I recognized the struggles that you alluded to, you know, supporting a family. Um, unclear as to whether you should go back and get a job or continue on 
uh, starting your own brand as a consultant. And at the time, you and I were both working as associates. Now, some of the people I interview um, do both. They they have their own direct clients and they also work perhaps as associates. So they work for other training companies as a consultant. Um, so let's just perhaps bring people up to speed. In the three years since you were thinking through this process of, you know, do, will I, won't I? Um, should I get a job? Should I stay in training? Should I work as an associate? Or should I just go for direct clients? Just just talk us through the perhaps the ups and downs of those three years since we spoke. Yeah, well, Mark, it's great to be back. And it's um, it's incredible what you've achieved with the podcast and some of the names that you've spoken to. I'm quite humbled to be on here again, um, three years, almost of a day, um, three years after. And so much has changed, obviously, in, within the world, but certainly within, within my world. And you mentioned about uh, three years ago, I'm contemplating, do I get a job? Um, if it doesn't work out, then I, I, need, I need to pay the mortgage, et cetera. Um, and I guess that was tested um, in, a, in a way that nobody could predict when COVID happened. And on the 13th of March of 2020, my calendar went from reasonably full to empty overnight and had my first month of not invoicing anything. And, and those are the those are the crunch points that really test your resolve. And, and I think what was great about that moment for me is that I never really contemplated with any seriousness about getting a job. I, I kind of backed myself at that point to to do whatever was needed to um, to make it happen. And I think what, what what benefited me in the first few years of being freelance was that we didn't have the money behind us. We didn't have a nest egg. We didn't have um, that kind of backup plan. We just had hard work and and almost a paranoia to, to 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 make things happen. So that that carried me through quite quite significantly um, through that moment of um, kind of uncertainty. So it was looking at doing the freelance things to pay the bills, and then how do I get the direct clients? And that process, I don't think, is a quick one for for, for many of us. Um, it's a it's an evolution for sure. Um, and I was fortunate, maybe fortunate, maybe. Um, good effort in terms of maintaining my focus, maintaining my marketing in the, in the very early stages of COVID that enabled me to land a, a significant sized client um, in the summer of last year. Um, and that really enabled me to um, accelerate the business. So was that your first kind of big, big client where <clears throat> it wasn't just a case of you delivering the training, it was a case of bringing in other people to deliver on your behalf? From a significant point of view, yeah, I'd worked um, alongside other trainers for smaller, smaller gigs, but um, every, every every largest client you get is the biggest client you've ever had at that point. Um, and then um, you have the moments of excitement, you have the moments of imposter syndrome, you have the moments of, oh my goodness, how am I, how am I going to do this? Um, but then you almost, um, it can normalize itself. That biggest client becomes just something that is part of your business and then you wait for that next biggest client so so yeah it was uh it 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 was probably four or five times larger than anything that i'd done previously in terms of revenue and scope so yeah it was a it's a real moment to accelerate the business and, and build a team around delivering that project so you alluded to the the the, the perhaps the internal dialogue uh, what does it feel like when you all of a sudden realize hey this is a this is bigger than me. It's now not a case of just delivering a program or someone else's program. I now have to deliver something that um, involves other people. I'm developing a brand bigger than me. And 
um, it's it's a it's a significantly larger figure than you could perhaps even contemplate. What is the what does that feel like in your mind when you just think, oh my god, I'm putting in a proposal for you know thousands and thousands of of pounds or dollars of training? Yeah, I think um, you know it, we, you spend a lot of time wanting it, and then when it arrives, you 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 kind of pinch yourself and and you 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 start to experience those emotions. And for sure, there's lots of different emotions. And I actually had the verbal agreement on a Zoom call whilst I was on holiday and I had my shorts and a Hawaiian t-shirt on. And it was the most relaxed moment of getting that confirmation. And I was, I'm a relatively calm guy anyway. I don't celebrate the wins too crazily. um, And I don't um, feel the losses too badly. I kind of stay reasonably calm. But certainly in those moments with real kind of fist pumping and I was with my family as well and knowing what it meant to them at that point was a, a, a moment where I could really enjoy it. Um, however, <laughs> and there is the however, um, that I've been in sales for a long time and one of my my mantras is that you haven't sold anything until the client has paid the bill. So I think signing the contract is just another part of that process of a delivering the great program to a client, but then also making sure that you you get paid for that um, and and also make profit because going from a, a it's me doing it and and taking all the cash flow to a place of I cannot I I could have delivered it um, myself, but I would have become a full time person for that client um, and it wouldn't have been a very good project because it was outside of some of my skill set. Um, so you then start looking at the cash flow and the profit margin so really having to look at the structure of how i build that deal to make sure that i can cover the expenses that i can see in terms of time for other consultants and design time and expenses and and etc recognize the amount of time that i'll be putting in without sometimes um allowing for it all that discretionary time you put in because you want to do a really great job um and then making sure that you've got more than the cost of a, a nice ice cream um, at the end of it, and, <laughs> and, it, and it's worthy of your, of your time because sometimes it is so easy. And this is one of my biggest learns from this: that it is so easy to fall into the trap of overcommitting your time into one big client, um, and therefore not making as much profit as when you're freelance, um, and having additional stress and aggravation from there. So it is, uh, yeah. I, w- I went from. I went fish pump, enjoy the time, went out for a meal with the family, had had fun, had laughs. Um, next day was very much, okay, what are we going to do to deliver deliver this and how do I make it work? Yeah, and, and I think that's that's true for people listening. If if that's something that's happened to them or they've gone through, um, there's the initial um, exhilaration, we've won, uh, and now the realisation we have to deliver. And because the brand's at stake here. Let, let's rewind and let's go back to, let's go through a kind of a deep dive, an anatomy, if you will, of how this uh, opportunity arose as a lead, how you were able to um, pitch a proposal, how you, let's say, negotiated with the specifics or on the specifics, how you deliver the program, perhaps some ups and downs uh, of the program, and then kind of coming full circle back to the lessons in hindsight now, what you think you've learned from that and how that's given you the confidence to pitch for contracts of that value and bigger. Yeah. So um, in terms of how um, this came towards me, uh, I, I very much kept 
on the front foot with my presence on LinkedIn and my marketing and my um, kind of profile through the COVID moment. Um, and I think that really helped because it was from my network that um, somebody approached me and said, hey, Pete, and we did some work together a year, two years ago, whatever. We we need somebody within our business and I think you'd be great. Will you come and talk to us? So it was it was that consistent presence and visibility that enabled me to um, have that kind of first reach out from from a client. Wasn't a friend, wasn't somebody who I kept close contact with and nurtured necessarily, but just somebody that was um, aware of of me staying on 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 side and and keeping doing our thing. Was it was that through through LinkedIn posts or some kind of content channel? Primarily LinkedIn. Primarily LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of work were you doing? Were you doing, you know, videos or or giving some kind of perspective on things, views? Yeah, a, a, a real mix. We um, we kept um, commenting on on relevant posts that were were out there. And when I say when I say we, there's um, myself, my colleague Lucy, and also the, the company um, profile. Um, so we kept all channels live. Um, I did some video content, just selfie video content about the here and now challenges that were facing the sales world and the sales leadership world. Um, and so it was it was that frequency, but also hopefully that relevance and the human elements of it. Say, this is what we're going through at the moment. This is what my take on it is. And this is what I think are some things to think about based on the challenges that sales managers are having, for instance. Um, so it was it was that current, consistent focus on on adding value, hopefully, to people was, uh, was what worked for us. Okay, so people, um, you created content, adding value effectively, people liked what they saw, they got in touch. Did you qualify them? And what hoops do they make you go through to, you know, be eligible to, to pitch for this business? Yeah, well, I, I knew one person there who was um, part of the decision-making unit, um, but wasn't the key decision maker. Um, and he was the one of the sales leaders. Um, so we met also with another sales leader and the head of HR, and we had a visibility with the owner of the business as well. And the business itself, great business, great bunch of people, very entrepreneurial. Um, but entrepreneurs want things yesterday. Um, and they were going through significant change in their organi- in their sector because of covid as well so our one of our skills as a, as a business is um being able to react and, and be very pragmatic and, and deliver deliver fast um sometimes that gets you into trouble and certainly on some on the bigger deal i think that's one of my key lessons is about sometimes slowing down and watching out for those strengths so when we um went to talk i, I partnered with another training colleague um, i didn't want to go through the sales process the proposal process the design process in isolation so i very closely par- partnered with another colleague and going to see the client they said when when are you looking to start this and they said well in three weeks and we're like well this is a program for 120 people um and three weeks isn't isn't going to happen logistically as much as our capability so there was a lot of early pushback but really healthy conversations about trying to make it happen for that client in in their world and i think that's often um something that happens people come to you you get these happy, flappy years because you, that's the expression, you know, when we feel, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. We think of the price tag. 
the addition to the cash flow that this means. But then we hear something like, we need this in three weeks. And you're going, will we, can we, won't we? Um, so pushing back, how does that feel when you're in a position where someone comes to you with something that you really need, you really want this to succeed, but you know that what they're asking for or some of the parameters are just not practical? How, how, do you, how did you frame that uh, resistance or pushback? Yeah, so um, that, this is one of my biggest lessons is to be more comfortable in pushing back. By nature, I'm a, I'm a people person and I'm a, I'm a green, amiable type of character. So that element of pushing back in those moments is something that steps me out of my, my natural habitat, if you like. So um, I guess it's that how, how, do you, how do you do it, I think, is being very clear in your own mind about what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve here. And it's not the outcome wasn't about me selling a, uh, a five-figure deal. The outcome was about improving a, a sales force and, and allowing them to grow as individuals and, and deliver better sales for that company. So trying to keep that in mind and take away the personal emotion and uh, desensitize myself from that is, is one of the challenges. But that's, that's kind of where I try to find my strength to, to think, okay, well, regardless of my cash flow, regardless of the business and their needs, what is the best way to achieve this outcome for this business? Um, so keeping that positive intent behind every conversation was, was probably the key to being able to push back in, in how we did. However, one of the lessons for me is that we should have pushed back more. So you, you presumably constructed some kind of roadmap, um, we'll develop content, we will talk to your people, we will uh, put together, uh, let's say, a learning journey and um, we'll deliver this program. So in the course of the execution of the, of the program, uh, and the area, to be honest, is, is kind of irrelevant because the, these lessons apply, I think, regardless of whether it's a, a leadership program, a sales program, some kind of management training, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We are effectively delivering a product to a paying customer. So... In terms of the execution, were there ups and downs? Were there things that surprised you, things that you could have foreseen, or things that, in, in hindsight, you couldn't have foreseen? Um, I'm, I'm a believer that we. I, 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 I always look in on myself, think, oh, "Dang, it went wrong. What could I have done?" Um, we went with what we knew at the time and our experience at the time, and I think that's that's one thing to take away that even when things don't go so well, you still learn and you, you grow from this. You know, there's no end game. It's a continual journey for sure. Um, and I think the certainly when it came to scale, the logistics behind the delivery were more important and more, more critical and how those logistics fitted in with the culture of the people that we were working with. And what, what I mean by that, that you know, what, if, you, if you're putting 120 people through a, a training program, it's the same content as putting 12 people through a training program. Um, and if it's a, you know, if it's a, a three days over a quarter um, piece of work, it's the same kind of schedule and it's three days of a training consultant delivering that. And then you're just multiplying it up. So, we, you know, it's, it's just a, a factor of 10 and it's quite straightforward. However, the, the culture of the organization being entrepreneurial being a little bit reactive and fleet of foot, so fast moving, meant trying to 
get people's diaries and get people's commitment and get people's focus on the learning whilst they were still going through a big transition and focus on their own business of of of, of accelerate of maintaining and then accelerating sales that logistical element was a real challenge for us um one of the things that that we we did so the guy i partnered with we then got um, a couple of designers um a few people to look at the delivery as well always having two just in case one couldn't support us so a bit of a backup and then the most important person that we'd never really kind of considered was to get a, a program manager and um, somebody to help with those logistics help with that communication with the client with us keeping us on track most trainers don't necessarily have that great organizational capability and certainly when you've got to look at so many different things as well i think that's that's again one of those things that we did that i am so pleased that we that we did at that time and is now an essential for every medium to large program that we'll ever do in the future. So the temptation could be to think, well, you know, if I bring in someone to project manage this, this is less profit for me. hundred percent. So I'll, yeah. I'll do this myself. And then you end up staying till up till midnight trying to send out emails and, and replies. So that was a, a, a big deal, wasn't it? Making that decision to bring in someone uh, to give them the responsibility of the logistics or the emails or the scheduling all the back and forth. Um, would you do that again? Um, bring somebody in for the logistics. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, you have to, I, I think with these type of programs, you build a team to deliver it, and then you have to think about your own strengths and capabilities within that team. And I think you have to be brutally honest with yourself about where your skills lie. Um, and yes, whilst on a smaller program, you can you can get away with it, and you can do everything, and you can take... 95% profit margin or whatever it is, the larger the pro- project, you cannot do it to the extent of expertise as what you would want to do it. And therefore, the whole project is at, um, at risk because of you yourself and you, your ownership. Um, so recognizing those strengths, recognizing your role as part of that project team to manage that project team, but also client liaison is probably the key if you're if you're the person who's won it um you can't do that client liaison effectively if you're staying up till midnight doing sending out joining instructions and designing <laughs> this part of this and uh, doing a gantt chart to try and work out logistics of things that are really difficult and then doing your p l for uh, your profit and loss for that particular account to make sure that you're you're on track price wise so you just have to be able to step back and lead it more than be in it. And that's a change in gears. And I, I think I've mentioned this before. People said to me, there's a difference between um, income generating activities and interest generating activities. So when we're looking at to do things which, which market the business, bring in people into the business as clients, that's one thing. But that's to be distinguished from things which we can charge for. If we're doing things that we cannot um, charge for, and it's to the detriment of things we can charge for, uh, that doesn't make sense. So that, that's an important lesson, <clears throat> is to bring in someone who can take over the nitty-gritty of logistics and scheduling and emails, all that kind of thing. Um, what about working with designers? Was there a temptation to say, I'll keep hold of that, you know, designing my program, my brand, Chili, gochili.co.uk. <laughs> uh, it's my brand. Uh, I'm going to decide exactly, you know, what goes out. Or do you, how much do you, relinquish control of that process of designing content yeah i think um i'm not the greatest designer 
in, that's in me too definitely so um, <laughs> i think <laughs> that was one of the pieces that i felt more comfortable with off offloading i think the challenge is um the link between the discovery and the design in that um the designers weren't as closely involved in the discovery piece as maybe what they could have been which would then have speeded up the design process um and again and again that's kind of a, a learning that if we'd have paid some money up front for the designers to be in the discovery process it would have saved our time communicating that discovery piece and then with chinese whispers losing some of that essence of what what it was like and and the designers trying to then interpret it so bringing them in at an earlier earlier base but that's because you know design's not my thing i don't really kind of thrive on it I think the harder challenge was about the delivery um, and it's a delivery piece that I am more comfortable with. And how do we, how do our trainers deliver in a way that is consistent with Chile um, and, and recognize that they are going to be different than me and often better than me. And that's fine. But equally, sometimes the client, the contact that I had knew me. So that was the, that was the harder release, if you like, of, of specific work. Yeah. So, so lots of people involved in this. Um, when it came to uh, delivering, this was obviously in the context of COVID on, on site, but also if I understand there was a hybrid element where some of the people were on the recipient or receiving end of, of online or remote training others in, in on-site training in the room. How did you encounter differences there in terms of design quality or delivery quality? Yeah, so we knew when we were designing, we knew obviously that, that COVID was, was happening, but we were in a period where the business could still have people in the office. Um, and we, again, with our positive intent, so, you know, if it, if it goes, if it, if it goes that people have to work from home, then we'll deliver it remotely. And we were conscious that that would involve a redesign and it, we were conscious it would involve some, some different delivery kind of logistics. Um, but we went with that anyway. And we delivered um, the first um, chunk of training in, in a hotel. And so got people off site, which was great. And then it cost and logistics kind of moved back into the office and their office environment wasn't so, so conducive to having large, large numbers. Um, and then going into the remote space. And, and again, this is where the culture was so important in, the, in what we could or couldn't do. And we'd assumed wrongly that their culture would adapt to being able to have two two and a half hour sessions um remotely but they're really people people they thrive from that energy a youngish crowd you know in 20s 30s they thrive from being together and and then going into lockdown being in their parents house being in a kitchen being in a one-bed flat or a studio that change for them and that move into that environment made it really quite difficult um so yeah the 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 move to online in that manner at that speed again was one of those things that we'd probably do differently next time so if we look back now um did you or have you done any kind of debrief retrospective with the client to say uh these were the initial objectives and now as we look back at the program's accomplishments these are the markers we we hit and these are the things we didn't do and and here's what we'll do to to, you know, compound learning, embed learning, because inevitably no program ever meets all the markers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we had some, uh, we had some interesting twists and turns with this particular client. Um, and certainly the way we designed the program, again, to have some speed with it was 
Uh, and my, my colleague makes this reference that we were laying the train tracks ahead of us as the train was moving. <laughs> so uh, it's true. That, <laughs> that, that kept things interesting. Um, and I, one of the advantages of that is that it means that we can react to their business because you know, business does change, need changes, et cetera. Um, and we'd, we'd scaled the contracts to also have that kind of just a month, three, sorry, it was three months ahead um contract agreement um in the new year um they ch- had a change of plan um and they recruited a, a vice president of learning into the business into a role that hadn't exist existed before and there was another um, ceo come in as well and they had a root and branch review over the course of two and a half or three weeks and said let's stop everything um and to re reevaluate and try and look at doing it properly so the debrief we had was with those guys at that point say this is what we found this is what we're looking at and it, that was a tough thing to go through to, because essentially they're saying listen we're, we're pausing possibly stopping the whole program um and let's see where it goes and long term i always knew that it was going to become an in-house um option um for for that type of program and that's the direction that it took so we were left with a and, and again one of my things that i was pleased with that i didn't base my business around this new big client that i had and i didn't go in all guns solely focusing on that business and not still maintaining the rest of chile and still being active in in marketing etc so there was a, a little bit of the rug getting pulled from from under us, but we still had the debrief. We still worked with the client. We still kept really good communications with the client and ultimately still had that intent of wanting them to do really well. Um, and whether you use Chile to do that or whether you go in-house to do that or whether you do something else to do that, we still got that intent of we want the best for the client. Um, so that's when the debrief happened and we had some lessons learned. Um, we had some really great wins even in a short space of time um and some changes that we've made and then um my colleague and i had a debrief um away from the client to say well what did we do well what would we do differently and what are our lessons learned and that was a real a really important moment from a lessons learned perspective but also from a almost a <laughs> therapeutic perspective to say wow you know this has been a this has been a bit of a ride um and the, the the story doesn't end end there because we kept that positive engagement. We kept um, communication lines open, even though we knew from past experience there would be other people who just say, "Hey, right, you, if you don't want us, right away, gone. Let's forget it and move on." Um, that never came into our thinking whatsoever. Um, and then their business moved. The um, head of learning left the business. The other CEO left the business. The, the business carried on moving on. And there was one part of the business where the, the sales leader has been brilliantly supportive and the team has been relatively stable. So from a business perspective, it was in a, in a better place. And um, we're about to deliver some more work to them next week, um, another three months kind of worth of, of focus. So I think, again, the, the, the lessons are about that positive ment- mentality and you've you've never won it until you've paid and you've never actually lost it either until unless they say hey just don't darken our doors so it's all so it's always worth maintaining those relationships and maintaining that that positive engagement so as we look to the future where is the chili brand going because since we last spoke you've you've developed a fantastic website you have a team around you now 
Um, so it's now very much bigger than Pete uh, when we spoke three years ago. What would you like to get and grow this to as a brand? Um, so this this big client of mine um, that, we, that we had was really the catalyst to be able to accelerate the brand. Um, and I was conscious not to put all of my focus on it to the detriment of continuing to build Chile, but rather to use it as a vehicle that allowed me the cash flow and allowed me the focus and credibility to um, to grow grow the brand of Chile. Um, that, whilst that main client is gone, that desire and that acceleration has happened. Um, and I would have never gotten the brand to where it is now without pulling some money in from somewhere else, um, without that being the case. So I'm really grateful that we've been able to do this. And it's really given me a thirst for more. Um, my my confidence in the ability of myself has increased far from perfect, but my my confidence in being able to back myself uh, is is better. My working relationships with some people has improved because of that experience and my um, comfort and and safety knowing that they've got my back as well as I've got theirs is is really kind of welcoming and and, and um, something that I'll, I'll never take for granted. Um, so the the ambition for the business is potentially even more now and coming out of COVID with a with a real tough time of cash flow and kind of going online and um, extending what what we do with the blended learning and now things are coming back to being face to face um, and seeing how things evolve I've got even more um, desire to to grow the brand and and what I'd like to do I'm not I, I don't have the ambition to be a five million pound brand and be a worldwide global leader and all that sort of stuff. I've got quite humble ambitions, but I would like to be able to go on holiday and the business to run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take the kids to Disney or something and not worry about yeah, having to take yeah. calls every five minutes. Absolutely. It's it's simple stuff, but um, we've got a business development manager now. We've got um, designers, we've got um, program managers, we've got people who we can draw on to upskill where, where necessary. And and I said to Lucy, who's brilliant, she's she's the the, the heartbeat of Chile. She does our um, head of customer engagement and logistics and operations. Um, but I said to her, I said, my, my next ambition is for someone to, somebody to work for Chile and sell the business, somebody to design it, somebody to deliver it, and somebody to invoice it without me knowing anything about it at all until the money goes in the bank. So that's, <laughs> that's the ambition. Mm. And, and again, it's, it's a silly thing. But if I get to that point, then I know that business is sustainable. Um, and that's sustainable for me, sustainable for, the, for my family, sustainable for the for the contractors and and colleagues that I've got. Um, that together we can kind of make great things happen, but have fun whilst doing it and pay for the for the mortgage and, and whatever else it pays for. And, and it's you've come so far um, in in those three years. You really have. Even hearing your confidence now, compared to the conversation we had back in August twenty eighteen. Uh, the experience you've acquired through the programs, the team you've built around you, the brand you've developed and enhanced, the kinds of conversations you're having now with organizations based upon the success you've had with this large program, the case studies you can share, and the message that you can deliver, you know, why Chile, why us, why now? Uh, that's really exciting. And and so my I tip my hat to you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Congratulations. And, and thanks for being a guest on the show again. Pleasure. 
My sincere thanks to Pete for coming back on the show and for being my first guest to make a second appearance. Um, I'd like to think that you got loads from that. I certainly did, because it reminded me of the position that Pete was in three years ago and the amazing success he's had and the growth he's achieved in that time, growing a brand, growing a clear product portfolio, and of course, growing a team to help him to grow the business. If you'd like to hear more episodes of the show, can I suggest that you subscribe because it costs you absolutely nothing. It reminds you when fresh episodes occur and you'll find episodes of the podcast every single Thursday without fail, whether it's a solo episode with me or a great guest on the show to share their recipe for success and their learnings over the years. And we've got loads of great guests as I'm looking at right now, 15 names lined up in the coming months. And you'll find episodes on every single platform you can think of, whether it's Pod, uh, Stitcher or Apple or Spotify, iHeartRadio, and so on. If you find a platform where there is no podcast episode, please let me know and I'll rectify that. But you'll find episodes every Thursday, bright and early, in and on your podcast platform of choice. If you've got suggestions for guests or particular topics, I'd love to hear from you because I really do want to ensure that this is useful for you, whether it's some company you've heard of, you'd like to find out how they started, grew and evolved that brand, or whether it's some book you've read or some some lesson from some person who you think would actually benefit other people by sharing their expertise on the show. That's what I do. It's what I love to do. And I welcome your feedback. You can mail me directly via mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read individual mails individually and, of course, reply personally. Until next Thursday, when I look forward to your company again, keep on training, keep selling, keep enjoying what you do. Talk to you next time. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.